A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. The International Film Festival has been such an integral part of the New Zealand movie scene for so long that it's all but impossible to imagine life without it. But 50 years ago, movies meant just mainstream titles from Hollywood and the UK. Foreign language films were few and far between. New Zealand films were non-existent. It looked like it was going to stay that way for the next 50 years unless something drastic happened. And as we all know, it did. Lindsay Shelton was the first director of the first Wellington Film Festival half a century ago and he joins me now. Hi Lindsay, how are you? (laughs) Half a century ago? Indeed, I'm good. (laughs) You've got to let us know what the movie scene was like in New Zealand back in 1972. Was it as grim as I've painted it? No, it wasn't that grim because Wellington had eight or ten big cinemas so there was a big choice of films but all these cinemas and all this choice were all from either Hollywood or Secondly, from England. That was it. Did any so-called art films make it to our screens, meaning anything from Europe or anywhere that wasn't Hollywood or the UK? I think the Bergman films all came in, but uh, they showed in cinemas that were looked at as fairly sleazy because the diet of cinemas like those that showed Bergman were mainly softcore sex films that the Mm. British were churning out in those days. I'd become president of the Wellington Film Society in 1970, and I'd taken my young family on a trip to England, and I discovered, to my amazement, uh, that the cinemas in London were showing dozens of titles from all over Europe, which were never coming into New Zealand and never even been heard of in New Zealand. So when I came back from London, I was programming the Film Society movement And I managed to get the rights to some of these films that were new titles in London. But I came up against a problem. If you're thinking back to those days, pre-video, there were no video shops or no video systems. Um, 35 millimeter was the format in all the cinemas. And the film society showed 16 millimeter. The Wellington Film Society had been showing 16 millimeter films in the little library lecture hall for about 30 odd years. And in programming film societies, I came up against the problem that many titles I wanted to bring to New Zealand were not available on 16 mil. They were only available on the 35 mil. And that led me to try to work out how to show 35 mil. And that led me to the discovery of film festivals, in particular the Sydney Film Festival, which had been going very successfully under David Stratton's regime for quite a while. You went to Australia then to, to find out how to do film festivals, really, didn't you? That's true. And David couldn't have been more helpful. He said, look, I've got these prints here. If you like, you can have them in Wellington after Sydney. I said, oh. <laughs> so I came back and talked to the Wellington Film Society committee, who didn't take too much persuading. And in 1972, we were off and running. But the other question, of course, was where would be our venue? And I went to the owners of the two chains who had the big cinemas in Wellington, Odeon on one side of the street, Amalgamated Theatres on the other side of the street. And both of those companies said, no way, we're not having a film festival. Nobody wants to see these films. So I discovered down in Courtney Place, Merv and Carol Kisby running the independent, slightly sleazy Paramount Cinema. <laughs> they were willing to give us a go. Um, and thanks to Merv and Carol, the Wellington Film Society launched itself in 1972. Now, we say the Wellington Film Festival, but, I mean, we're not talking about hundreds of titles here, are we? How many films were included in that first festival in 1972? The first Wellington Film Festival show ran for seven days, had one film per day. But the films we had 
these were films which were not going to be even brought into New Zealand if we hadn't taken the move ourselves. Louis Benuel, Louis Mal, uh, Pontecorvo, big name directors. And after seven days, we'd sold 5,000 tickets. So we thought to ourselves, ah, the, the big chains were wrong. There is an audience <laughs> for these films after all. It was a great time for film production in Europe. There was the new wave. There were all sorts of directors who were becoming very fashionable. From Germany, for example, there was Herzog and Benders and Fassbender, all of whose films we showed. There were great French directors of the time, like Truffaut and Chabrol and Louis Malle, Alain René. It's, it's amazing to think back to the 70s because the cinemas in New Zealand would not show these films. So audiences who didn't know any better were thinking the entirety of the international film business comes from either the United States or England. They knew right. nothing about uh, Europe or Asia, and we set out to change their awareness, and we did it. But the fact is, of course, that a lot of people, I think, would have been reading about a lot of these films from overseas magazines, from, you know, I mean, people were big readers in New Zealand and they knew about them. They just weren't allowed to see them. Remember, there were two monthly film magazines that came from England. One was called Sight and Sound and was very um, respectable. The other was called Films and Filming. And it managed to have some kind of sexy content on the cover <laughs> of every issue. But they, they were both serious film magazines, which told New Zealanders what they were missing. And we were able to um, build on that distant awareness. But the growth of the film festival was quite amazing because after five years, um, we'd grown from 5,000 tickets to 20,000 tickets and from seven films to 30 films. And that was just the first five years. I have to say also that Auckland had its own film festival and that had been going for about three years by the time you guys started. I mean, how much interaction was there between the two festivals? Uh, Bill Gosden, uh, the late Bill Gosden, there's a new book um, of his coming out, um, hopefully by Christmas. And he, run, he writes wonderfully acerbically that the Auckland Film Festival existed to raise money for the Auckland Festival Society so it could run garden programs. Uh, we tried in Wellington to get <laughs> Auckland to share selection of features so that we could halve the costs, we could split the costs, but they were very reluctant to do that. And I'm jumping ahead a bit, but... Uh, in the 80s, Bill and I went to Auckland and very indiscreetly did a takeover of the Auckland Film Festival. And, and that was the start of the growth of Wellington, uh, which then set out under Bill Gosden's leadership to become uh, the New Zealand International Film Festival. But of course, b before I get off the track completely, the other major element running alongside the growth of the film festival was the campaign to get a New Zealand film industry going. Right through the 70s, people were campaigning, led, of course, by the great John O'Shea. And once I had got the Wellington Film Festival going, I looked around for New Zealand films to include and discovered, <laughs> I should have known, there weren't any. There were no films being made in New Zealand at all, apart from the National Film Unit. In 1974, I found the first film that I could select in the program, which was a film about Ralph Hotary, made by Sam Pillsbury. And then in 75, I got the first New Zealand feature, a film called Test Pictures, made by Jeff Stephen, who'd made it with a little cooperative, but he'd run out of money. He'd finished the film, but didn't have enough money to pay for a print. And so the Wellington Film Festival very generously and very nervously advanced in the money to pay for a print so he could screen it. And you're not talking about millions here, are you? How much did you actually give him to finish the film? <laughs> I can't remember what it was. It might have been a couple of thousand dollars. The Film Society Committee was very nervous. The Wellington Film Festival went on, however, to be the place where many of the great New Zealand films had their world premieres. Uh, looking back through the programs, uh, Meritamita's Patu, for example, had its mm. world premiere in Wellington. Um, Barry Barclay's marvellous Nati, John Reed's Liebel Fair, 
And Peter Jackson's career was launched at the Wellington Film Festival, where Bill Gosden very bravely chose Bad Taste for a late-night screening. Going a bit earlier than that, though, Lindsay, there was another film that had a couple more things going for it than would appear at first glance. This is a film called Landfall, and uh, it's, it featured two major New Zealand film figures in the cast, yeah. a very young Sam Neill. And, uh, yeah. and Jonathan Dennis, who ended up being a very influential person in the film industry. Jonathan was not only the first director of, of the founder of the New Zealand Film Archive, but he was a major contributor to film festival programming over the years. And he would always sit in the front row of the festival screenings and he'd always wear a very bright scarf wrapped around his neck. So <laughs> he was a personality, was Jonathan. And he, he also, he was my predecessor on this show, as it turns out. How was the festival funded? I mean, did you get any public funding for the Wellington Film Festival? None at all. Right from the start, the Wellington Film Festival has been a film festival which depended on its earnings from the audience. Right from the start, the Wellington Film Festival has set out to provide an event which the local audience would find appealing. And I think right now when the festival has grown so enormously, I think it's still, what's the figure, about 85 or 90% dependent on ticket sales, the level of subsidy from different organizations is only about 10%, which makes it very different from most of the big film festivals of similar size around the world, which I think get 50 or 60% in terms of, of cultural subsidy. But here, we're a bit different in New Zealand. That is amazing, isn't it? When you consider that one of the defining characteristics of the film festival is that they're not specifically commercially geared up movies. These are movies that are important and interesting in theory rather than commercial, and yet they're hugely popular. The festival is such a, um, an important part of the New Zealand film scene now. Yeah, and by developing the tastes of um, film-going audiences in New Zealand, the Wellington Film Festival contributed to the eventual emergence of what we call arthouse cinemas, and those arthouse cinemas were able to give a longer run to some of the more popular films every year uh, from the film festival, so we helped with that. But while, while I'm talking venues, I should talk one other aspect of the Wellington Film Festival's growth, because I told you it had grown from 5,000 tickets to 20,000 tickets in 1976, and when um, Bill Gosden took it over in 1981, we were selling about 60,000 tickets. Well, to my great amazement, in 1985, Bill Gosden announced that it had outgrown the Paramount as its home and it was going to move down the road to the much bigger Embassy Theatre. And then the growth continued and the festival became a two-venue place, the Embassy and the Paramount. And of course, as everybody knows now, it, it's an event that takes place in five or six or seven different screens. So the growth of it has been enormous. But while I wrap it on about venues, of course, the success of the Wellington Film Festival encouraged a group of people to buy the building to save it from demolition and then to raise the money to start restoring it, making it now the glorious cinema-going venue that it is today. When you started the idea of the festival, then, Zemi, did you have any idea that it was going to be anything other than a minority-taste event? No, I was just getting to bring in the films that I wanted to see and that I thought other people would want to see, but also I, I had no idea that it might turn into a, a self-supporting organisation. When the festival started growing, we were able to employ one administrator and she spent much of her year running film societies but a small part of her year running the film festival but now of course the film festival from its own ticket sales mainly is able to employ three or four people around the year and to take on a whole lot of extra professionals 
to make all aspects of the event happen in a very attractive way. And talking about events happening, we're all crossing our fingers and toes that the film festival will be going ahead as scheduled in November. I have to ask, I mean, what was more important to you, Lindsay, the idea of opening New Zealand audiences up to more challenging fare or kick-starting the New Zealand film industry, which it also did? One thing led to the other. When they started the film commission at the end of the 70s, they looked around for someone who had professional experience in film marketing and promotion, and I was enthusiastically able to put my hand up and say, well, look, I've, I've been marketing other people's films right through the 70s. I would really like the chance to do the same thing for New Zealand films. That got me the job, which led to a pretty tremendous 20 years um, in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, so the film festival is so substantially established that in spite of all the new techniques from video to DVD to streaming as it is now, but there is still an absolute enthusiasm for filmgoers to gather in a beautiful big cinema and sit with 600 like-minded people and share the experience of seeing a film on a big screen. So regardless of all the new technologies, the basic experience of going to the cinema and seeing a movie, I'm sure will continue. That's the founder of the Wellington Film Festival, later the New Zealand International Film Festival, Lindsay Shelton, who went on to be the first marketing director of the New Zealand Film Commission for 20 years. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.